The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness. And on every episode of this show, we are going to uncover the secrets to being superpowered and being the superwoman you are meant to be. Joining me today is Carly Pollock. Carly is a certified clinical nutritionist, and she's author of the new book, Feed Your Soul, Nutritional Wisdom to Lose Weight Permanently and Live Fulfilled. Carly has is based in Austin, Texas. She has a master's degree in holistic nutrition, and she's been awarded the best nutritionist in Austin for five years. Welcome to the show, Carly. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I love Austin, Texas, by the way. That's a pretty city, but I'm thrilled to have you on the show and to talk about your book, Feed Your Soul. Tell us a little bit about what brought you even into writing the book and a little bit of what you were hoping to accomplish. I wrote the book because I felt like in the nutrition world, so much is always said on how to lose weight, but really people are left you know, just guessing on how to make it permanent. How can we take that cleanse or detox or those new behaviors we learn and really wake up day after day with an authentic desire to create that permanent change? And so really the book, uh, I was really clear that it wasn't a diet book that I was writing, although of course I talk about food, but that I was writing a book that would arm people with the mental tools to be able to achieve anything they wanted for their health and to be able to do it permanently. I love that idea. You know, and I'm on a path of late where I am myself personally shifting from goals and benchmarks and all that other stuff into more of trying to express to myself and even to others that I meet that, Hey, it's a little bit more about how we're all feeling. Cause if we don't address kind of the feeling part of it, then no matter how much intellectual knowledge you have and how much data you have and genetic information you have, uh, you're still going to have very limited success. So I, I would love to learn more about, you know, what you've observed and sort of taking this approach and how it's different from maybe what's already happening out there when it comes to weight loss and food and diets. It's so true what you just mentioned. You know, we, we as practitioners have all of these tools now and technology in the health field is really amazing that we can look at the gut microbiome and we can look at genetic mutations and there are, you know, there's lab work for heavy metals and, and there's just so many things that we can find out about the body. Yet I feel like we place way too much of an importance on that stuff because if we do not feel spiritually connected and mentally strong, none of that stuff really plays as important as a role as we think it does. And, you know, I always felt like when I was struggling with my weight and yo-yoing and, and going on and off diets, I would look at these people in my life who were just healthy. And what I mean by that is just that they didn't, they weren't on some new cleanse. They weren't, you know, doing the latest fad diet. They just ate the way they ate. It was like, I was so jealous of them. It was just, mm -hmm. I would watch them eat at a restaurant and, and order something and not finish the whole plate. And I would sit there just in awe because for me, if I didn't have some really strong rule around what I was doing, then I was overeating. Because right. I always had this 
scarcity mindset around food. Like I knew I was going to go on a diet and that the food was going to go away. So I needed to eat as much as possible before I decided that I was going to, you know, put myself in food prison. And I remember, I think it was Tony Robbins who said success leaves clues. And that if you want to be successful, don't reinvent the wheel. Just look at people who have been successful and follow what they do. And so I started to look at people in my life and, you know, um, people I knew that I looked up to who were just consistently healthy. Their weight stayed the same year after year. Their skin glowed. They were happy. And I started to look at what they did and, more importantly, how they thought. And that is really where I started to be able to heal my own relationship with food and ultimately what led me to write the book. Wow. And that is so profound. And I'm I'm quoting here from your book, I believe, it is our minds that drive the eating bus. In fact, our thoughts drive every emotion we feel and how we feel will dictate how we act. Unless we change the original thought story, we will recreate the same painful pattern, a nightmarish diet induced groundhog day. So why, you know, I think we understand that, but I will be the first to stand up and say that that is such an intangible concept for so many people that they don't understand how to get from knowledge and intellect into recognizing how they feel and how they in turn need to take care of themselves. Do you have some sort of like roadmap or game plan or, or like three steps that everybody out there listening today could start to dwell on a little bit when they're thinking through, okay, this is, this is how I need to shift my thinking. It's not, oh my gosh, I'm good or I'm bad or I ate fat or I ate sugar. I was just in Italy and I ate a ton of cheese, which I normally don't do. And even I was beating myself up about that. You know, it's not so much about these polarizing statements. How do we, how do we make that shift? How do we make that turn? Why is Italy the place where everybody, (laughs) I talk, I talk, I think two or three times in the book about my vacation, my gluttonous vacation to Italy. It's like the place everyone goes to eat gluten and dairy and sugar and feel horrible. (laughs) I know, but you know what? I didn't feel horrible. (laughs) And I came back and actually, you know, my husband and others were like, you actually look smaller because we were active and happy the whole time. So again, it goes into that, you know, if anything, it's, I ate what I wasn't supposed to eat. I had a lot of sugar, I had a lot of gelato, but came back kind of the same, you know, without a, a ton of change, maybe even a little bit of a change for the better. So I think there is something very profound and very powerful in this concept of how we feel and how we think and what it does to our metabolism. And while I yes, get it and I understand, stress reduction and activity can do and how totally totally you know other things are besides food and and your story about Italy is my exact story that I ate gelato twice a day and I had cheese at every meal but we I was only sitting when we were eating the rest of the day we were walking and I was happy and I didn't feel the need to overeat all these foods because I wasn't numbing some sort of frustration, fatigue, lack of self-care, and that there was really a a big takeaway. And and the takeaway is not, oh, she's saying eat sugar and dairy, but be happy, (laughs) but that there is, but there is something to, to look at there. You know, back to your question, I, I totally understand when Someone listening to this says, what thoughts, emotions, behavior, like, what is she talking about? Because 
you know, many years ago when I was struggling, I, I did not understand that I could control my thoughts. I didn't even realize that I had thoughts. It was like this incessant mental stream, this inner narrative that never shuts off. I did not even have awareness that it wasn't me. And I know that sounds so crazy because it, it is our voice and it sounds exactly like us. But one of the tools I still use every single day is that I take a look a, a couple of times a day and you might need to set an alarm on your phone in the beginning because you know as we're starting a new habit, we really need to uh, trigger ourselves to create that habit. Uh, you know, you, you set an alarm and a few times a day the alarm goes off and just says, what are you thinking? And the tool that I still use today is I picture myself outside of my body, almost, you know, watching my mental stream as if I was watching it on a movie screen. Or you can picture the voice in your head as somebody else outside of you. Uh, I call it the uninvited roommate <laughs> because nobody invited her, you know, mm-hmm. to be with me all day long. And actually, she's quite insane and extremely negative. And uh, everything she thinks is based on fear and, you know, uh, this kind of survival mechanism. And that's not the way we want to live our lives. So the first step to really understanding this idea of, hey, I can control my thoughts, which will shift my emotional state, which will ultimately lead me to, uh, you know, better and healthier behaviors, is to pay attention to what you're thinking and then to understand that you don't have to hold on to every single one of these thoughts. And let me give you an example. You know, all of us have probably had the experience of boarding an airplane and sitting down on the plane, and while other people are, you know, reaching their seats, you're looking up, and the mind just starts to go, hey, what if this thing crashes? This guy is going to be the last guy I see in my life. What would I take mm-hmm. in my purse? Hmm, I have a mirror. I could, you know, it's like just going into that stream. And then for some of us, we say, oh, don't be ridiculous. And then we pick up our iPhones and we go on Instagram, and that's kind of the end of the story. But for other people, it is we hold on to that thought so dearly that they don't fly because it becomes a belief that they're unsafe. And so what's the difference between person A and person B is just person B holds on to that thought and believes it's true and doesn't have the awareness that it's simply a thought and not necessarily a fact and certainly doesn't need to become reality. And that's just one tiny example of the 60,000 thoughts we think a day and how many we hold on to versus I can just say, uh, I label a thought as catastrophe thinking. I just go, you know what? That's a catastrophe thought. And I let it move right past me while I um, search for thoughts that I want to hold on to, which are obviously more positive thoughts. So for everyone listening out there today, again, I think uh, what Carly's trying to stress and what you maybe heard other experts that have come on the show stress as well is that thoughts are like cars. You let the ones that are negative drive on by, you hold on to the ones that are positive and maybe make those your reality, but we are in complete power of deciding what our reality should look like. And that takes discipline. It takes skill. It takes practice. That's where a lot of mindfulness have, you know, habits really, really help because they 
force you to train your mind and to train how you're going to process the millions of different thoughts that come in at any given moment. Um, you say in the book, Carly, that you dislike the term stress management. Um, tell me a little bit about that and how it relates to food and diet and what's the alternative? Stress management to me feels like, oh, we are always going to have stress in our lives. We just have to manage it. So instead of this feeling of, you know, real freedom and vitality and, and, enthusiasm about life, I just feel like we're just managing our day-to-day and trying to not let stress get to us. So I just, I never felt good around the term stress management. Instead, I really focus on stress elimination and using the stress response I have as a trigger to let me know that I have to do some mental mind work. And the reason why we're even talking about thoughts and stress is because your plate is a reflection of your inner state. Think about it. When you leave yoga class or an exercise class, think about the foods you want. You want smoothies and a salad and a green juice. But think about after you've had a hard day at work or a really long week and you're frustrated, lonely, tired, stressed. You don't want a salad. You want heavy fried food. You want fries. You want burgers. You want macaroni and cheese. You want ice cream. And people disconnect that idea of, you know, where these cravings are coming from. And I know that stress is not only the root cause of all physical disease, but it's also the root of what drives us to eat foods that don't work with our body, that cause weight gain, that cause fatigue, hormonal imbalance, I mean, you name it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's so important that I cover stress elimination and, and I, I, I give a bunch of tools in the book to where I'm not saying you live a stress-free life. That's totally unrealistic. I'm saying that you can use the stress you feel as a trigger and go, ooh, I'm feeling stressed right now. Okay, Carly gave me this tool, this tool, this tool. Let me try to use them and see that I can get myself out of stress and back to a place of, trust, surrender, and again, feeling this enthusiasm about life. And Carly, what are, could you, are, could you give us a couple of those tools? I'm sure you go much deeper into them in your book, Feed Your Soul, but uh, maybe just give us a couple of those tools. Uh, I know you mentioned one. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the ways that we get ourselves into stress is that we focus on the things we can't control so much of what stresses us out are things that we really cannot do anything about, whether it's, you know, um, somebody, somebody else's behavior or the health of a loved one, uh, you know, a world, a world disaster, things, the, whether the plane crashes or lands mm-hmm. safely. I challenge you to think about the top three stresses in your life everyone listening, and see if any of these fall under the category of things that ultimately you cannot control, because there's very little in our life that is within our control, and that's the reality. You know, we can control our thoughts, the way we eat, the the words we speak, how we move our body, but everything else really is up to the universe. And so, Focusing on only what is in your control is a great way to get out of stress. 
Another way we get into stress is that we create worst-case scenario in our mind. So the second someone gets a job promotion, they're mm-hmm. happy for two minutes, and then they start to stress out, what if I don't perform? What mm-hmm. if, you know, what if this project isn't on time? And we take what hasn't happened yet, and the mind creates the absolute worst-case scenario, and we then start to focus on what we don't want. And the horrible piece of that is that what you focus on, you feel, even if it isn't true. So how many times have, I mean, I know as a professional speaker, how many times have I gotten a really big gig and I'm so excited about it. I just spoke at, I was just a featured uh, speaker at South by, uh, South by Southwest here in Austin. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the biggest speaking gigs of my career. And my mind kept going into this, Visualizing me tripping over a wire, falling, you know, my my shoe, twisting my ankle, and it was stressing me out. The night before the talk, I hardly slept. And let's be honest, did I hardly sleep because I was so excited to go and kill it? No, I hardly slept because my mind was torturing me with all of the worst case scenario things that could have happened. And then I woke up in the morning and thought, oh man, I have tools. (laughs) I need to use my tools. And so I want you instead to start to visualize what is best case scenario. I want to turn all of us into best case scenario thinkers that when there's something unknown in our life and the mind immediately starts to go into protection mode, oh, let me show you what the worst thing that could possibly happen so I can protect you, that we stop and say, what's the best possible outcome? And then we focus on that because then we feel that and that drives healthier behaviors. And also we're not really talking about manifesting today, but if I could just, you know, place one moment on manifestation, we want to focus on the things that we want to bring into our reality. I love that. Um, I, and I think that's just so important that, I mean, all of us, right. Even myself, I think, and I bet anybody out there in the audience today, we're all guilty of maybe going to the darkest place uh, the worst thing I'm just have gone through a little bit of stuff with my husband, which is why I'm hedging a little bit who, who had a pretty serious health scare, one in which I could have lost him and didn't, but my mind keeps going. It keeps wanting to go back into like, Oh my God, Oh my God, what if, what if, what if, instead of, Oh my gosh, I should be so grateful. He's here. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. So I think there is a protective mechanism that is inherent in all of us to go into the worst case scenario all the time. But it's, it's again, I think it's such a great gift if we can always be focused on the best case scenario. And then like you're saying, I think what you're alluding to is that that is typically what manifests, correct? Yeah, and you know, I, I remember when I got engaged and my husband and I had dated for years and lived together for years, but there was something mentally that shifted when we got engaged, meaning my thoughts changed, and I started to be terrified that he would die. And I would have these, I mean, my mind... Me if too! I, it, and I did this did too! This too. <laughs> yes, I did this yeah, all the I was, time! You know, I was like, I was at the funeral, I'm at the oh. funeral, my mother's holding me. I mean, if you don't catch the mind, you could be 15 minutes into the, the most heinous story. And I will say I have a 10 month old daughter and nothing has my, you know, nothing has showed me the capacity of the depth of the darkness of the mind uh, as having a child, because 
the things that it thinks up. Yes. <laughs> yes. You, you know, and it's, and instead of us going, oh my goodness, what's wrong with us? We're sick. Something's wrong with us. I just label it, Carly, that is just catastrophe thinking. And I, and I focus on, I am safe. My baby is safe. I am loved. What is best case scenario that my husband and I die holding hands like in the notebook, you know, and you just put out there what it is you want. And, and I want people to understand the connection between this and permanent weight loss. When we're talking about, you know, thoughts, emotions, behaviors, there are the same stories that we all have around food that put us into a behavior pattern that disrupts permanent change, the antithesis of permanent change. And I've studied humans for, you know, over a decade now, and I know that there are really the same five or so stories around food. The uh, screw it, I don't care. The I deserve this. I'll start tomorrow. Uh, I have so far to go. So what's the point? This little thing won't hurt me in the long run. I mean, pick your story. And, and the mind likes patterns. And so you're going to find you might have all of those stories at one point, but that you have one favorite story. You know, my favorite story is the I don't care. So in the moment, I'm exhausted. I've not done my self-care, so I don't feel grounded. I've maybe watched, you know, too much Queer Eye on Netflix, so I went to sleep too late that night instead of meditating or whatever it was that mm -hmm. I chose. And then the next day, all of a sudden, I find my mind saying, oh, screw it, I don't care, just eat these chips or whatever it is. And noticing that that thought is ultimately what's going to drive the behavior of eating chips. But why am I having that thought is because there's something that preceded that thought that I didn't do, usually around self-care or around mind work. Gotcha. Well, I love it. And I know there's going to be so much more valuable information in your book, which has already hit the shelves, correct? Feed Your Soul. Um, yes. It is. Yes. Feed Yes, I think it's already hit the books. It's Feed Your Soul, Nutritional Wisdom to Lose Weight Permanently. There's so much to talk about here. I think for all of you listening today, if you can at least grasp on to the idea that you can have all the information and the knowledge, but how you feel is equally, if not more important, and how your thoughts manifest your feelings and your reality. And let's all go to the best case scenario, not the worst case scenario, because that's naturally where we want to be. Uh, Carly, there's so much. I wanted to ask you more. The five non-negotiables of weight loss, health, and vitality. But you know what? We're going to tease the audience and have them get the book to find the answers to that. So if, if uh, the audience wants to reach out to you, Carly, what's the best way for them to find you? They can find me on carlypollock.com. That's C-A-R-L-Y-P-O-L-L-A-C-K.com. And they can shoot me an email through there or uh, hit me up on Instagram. Perfect. And for everybody else listening today, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Super Women Wellness, which is now on Spotify as well. If you have questions about today's show, you can connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. TazMD. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review and share it with your friends. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Carly. Thank you.